0: Hey, thanks for joining us here on the house podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about the house, check out our website at welcome well, to the house. We're going to have a seat this morning. App. Man, it's a good day to be at church. We are. Finishing up our series on First Thessalonians, we are in chapter five, and man, there is something powerful about the Word of God. It is inspired. It is powerful. It is able to change. It, that truth that we receive when we read it, when we study it, is what sets us free, and we are grateful for it. We don't believe it's another history book. We don't believe it's just a good self-help book. We. Believe believe it is an authority when we submit our life to Jesus. It is his inspired words that we follow because we know there is an amazing day that awaits us. An amazing day that when Jesus returns. And so we are getting ready for his return. From the time he died and raised from the dead and established the church, the last days began the end times began and we call the study of the end times eschatology and that's a very fancy word but basically it just means the last days the studies of that and so I know that many of us we're in the middle of our lives we're in the maybe the early part of our lives or maybe the mid to end of our lives and most of us haven't given much thought to what a last day would even look like (laughs) And, um, you know, the last day that we could live, let's say if we were able to predict it and say, this is my last day, what would, be, what would that look like? Would it be making sure that I get my favorite meal in? Would it be spending my savings account on everything that I've always wanted to spend it on? Would it be that last adventure that I could take? Well, as much as we very well may not have thought about our last day because we're busy living our lives God is very intentional about the end. He's been planning this from the beginning of time. He knew how it was going to end, and everything that he does is strategic and intentional. And so we can trust him and know that when he shares in the word with us, teaches us in the word through Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he's giving us the tools that we need so that we are not taken off guard so that we are prepared for when he comes because we as believers believe that's going to be a great day that is going to be a day we are looking forward to we are not afraid of his return we are looking forward to his return and so that is one of the things that i believe that first thessalonians helps us see it helps us see what do we do in the meantime If we don't know when the end is, and we don't know what the last day is, but we do see that the Word gives us signs of the time, we can look at the seasons of the times, what do we do in the meantime? Do we build a bunker in our backyard? Do we stock up on canned goods? Or do we obey the Word of God until He comes? And so that's what we're going to talk about today, how to prepare for the end. All right, so... This uh, verse 1 through 3 begins saying, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. As if they knew. He was saying, you don't even need this, but I'm going to just remind you. They have only been a church for a very short time. He's writing a letter to them, and they already know the end times. So that means they were taught a lot In a very short time, they were eager to learn. They were receptive. They were really wanting to take on the teaching of Christ. For you yourselves are fully aware that that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So there are four truths that we can take away that will help us prepare for this day, for the end. And the first one will be, it will be suddenly, it will be suddenly, and it will be unexpectedly. Okay, so there are two suddenlys and unexpectedly I want to kind of point out. It's not suddenly and unexpectedly that we don't know that it's going to happen, and we don't know that it's good. We as believers know it's going to happen and know it's good. Now, as unbelievers... It basically says that we will be ta- unbelievers will be taken off guard. They will be surprised. They're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. And they don't believe it will happen. So it will be very sudden and unexpected, and it will be something to be feared because there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment, of vindication, and that is the day of the Lord. So uh, it does stick out to me that the early church understood eschatology and They were young as a church, but here they already knew about this. So we do see that they were eager to learn. They were teachable. They were hungry for the Word of God. And so basically, one of the things that I feel like we need to realize is because it will be suddenly and unexpectedly, we've got to be students of the Word. We have got to be ready to receive. We have to be teachable. And so one of the things that I think that... One of the tools we have that is amazing in our society and our technology is we have the live stream and the podcast. So, for instance, for those of you here in person, if you miss a Sunday, don't miss a teaching. If you miss a live stream when it's live, go back and watch the recording. Go listen to the podcast. And even if you were here in person, go back and listen to it again. Because if you are called here then we believe that we're seeking God on your behalf. And so you seek God, you read the word for yourself, but then you also want to be a part and receive the teaching that's going forth from the place that you're called because that is words from the Lord that he's giving you to be able to be prepared for the end. Okay, you know, one of the things about suddenly and unexpectedly, I was thinking of when I took my kids to Silver Dollar City and we've taken them many times my husband and I love roller coasters and so we went to Walt Disney World for our honeymoon we're about to go to Disney World with our kids which is this is a big deal it's a first time thing but my kids all love roller coasters but there was a time where I had one child that didn't like roller coasters and she's actually the only one in the service right now she's pointing at me Because I'm about to tell you one of her most terrific moments. (laughs) So here we were at Silver Dollar City, and it had been a while before we had uh, been there. And so we have two older kids and two younger kids, four total. And so Stephen had taken the two older kids to ride some of the big rides. I had taken the two younger kids to ride some of the little rides. And um, Tia, my third child, was an anomaly. She was in a family with six people but didn't like roller coasters, and so everybody else loved roller coasters, and so here we go to the kitty section, and I know her apprehension, and so I realize that this is going to be a tough sale, so I'm like, I'm going to start the day off with a really not-a-big-deal ride. We're going to go to the kitty section, and we're going to ride this ride. Well, I hadn't been in a while, so I had forgotten what this ride was like. And so we got in line to Fire in the Hole. And so if you know anything about Fire in the Hole, <laughs> I had thought, I'm like, this is a small ride. Like, no big deal. This is a great starter for the day. And so we get in line, and I am convincing her the whole entire time that this is a, not a big ride. It's a, it's a small ride. It's no, nothing to be scared about. It's going to be little. I kind of describe it to her. I'm like, yeah, no, I've ridden this before. It's not that big of a deal. And so sure enough, Sage sits with me because he's the younger one. And um, Tia's sitting in the back by herself with another woman who's a mother of another child, uh, basically with a stranger in behind me on this ride. And we begin. And Fire in the Hole is actually a roller coaster in the dark. And you don't have any light, and you are surprised, and there is no expectation on what's going to happen next. And so Tia, being around six years old and already hates rides, um, we get on this ride, and I think, oh, my goodness, I have made one of the biggest mistakes in my life. And Sage is loving it. He's thinking it's so fun, and I hear Tia start bawling, <laughs> bawling, like heaving, crying while we're riding this ride. And I'm like, <gasps> Worst mom moment ever. Okay, I totally forgot that this was such a big ride. And so we get at the end, and here my daughter is clinging to this mother she does not know, bawling, crying on her shoulder, and I'm feeling terrible, and she thinks she can't trust me because I've totally misled her. She doesn't want to ride anything for, like, the rest of the day. And uh, sure enough, we got off that road. We uh, ride. We recovered, and believe it or not, Tia is a big roller coaster fan now. Maybe because she was forced, (laughs) but bottom line is it was something that she was not prepared for because I had prepared that it was no big deal, and the thing is is we as believers, we are prepared for Jesus coming back, and we feel like it's a big deal. We don't feel, just feel like it. We believe it's a big deal. And so it is sudden. It's unexpected. But it is going to be something that he's already let us know that he will come like a thief in the night. And so this is not describing Jesus as a thief. This is describing the situation. A thief doesn't knock on your door the day before and let you know he's coming the next night, okay? He doesn't give you a warning, and that's what it's going to feel like in that moment. So the day of the Lord will be um, many days. It is a period of time. It's a period of incredible and dramatic events. The rapture of the church will take place. The tribulation, which is a seven-year period the second coming of Jesus, and the time of judgment will all be the last day. Okay, so we know that it's not a physical day. We know it's a period of time, biblically. Okay, so Paul reveals the surprise and the shock that unbelievers will experience. There will be a lot of people afraid, and a lot of people with a lot of questions. There will be a lot of scenarios that will be made up from this. There will be a lot of predictions or or not predictions but trying to solve and trying to figure out what's going on but it will be apart from God it will be apart from the word of God Um, so some actually believe that peace comes in anything other than Jesus that's what the world believes and it says that the world will say peace and safety is here here is the solution and many times when we go throughout our life that's exactly what our unbelieving friends believe They believe that if they get one more degree, they make one more investment, they get one more promotion, they marry that person, they, you know, have this substance. If I can just get a little bit more, then I'll have peace. And it never is fulfilling. It's a cycle they can't get off of. And they're always trying to do one more thing for a little bit more peace. And the Bible says that the world will promise us peace but it will not be true peace apart from Christ. There will be no world peace without Jesus. So Jeremiah 6.14 says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And that is what the world does. They want to put a Band-Aid on our wound, but they don't have anything to heal our wound. They don't have anything that gives us lasting peace. And so we even see believers falling into this trap. We see believers getting deceived and falling into the trap of, I just need a little bit more peace. I just can't give up this addiction because it gives me peace. It makes me calm. I can't give up this person because they're my person and they, I feel like I have to have them. There's a lot of different things that we even as believers can get deceived with. But we have to realize that Paul is warning us that nothing besides Jesus can give us lasting peace. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11 says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, in this context they're saying whether you are dead or alive at the time of the coming, We might live with him. That's the goal, to live with Jesus eternally. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Okay, so number two, the truth that will prepare us is to not be scared and not be indifferent. Okay, so we as believers are not scared of this day. We're looking forward to it. We have anticipation, and that should produce an urgency in us to do what he told us to do. And the thing is, is oftentimes what we end up doing is we become indifferent because we've heard Jesus is coming back, but we don't really know when, and we don't really know how important that is, and we don't really know what to do in the meantime. And 1 Thessalonians is giving us the tools we need to live out what he's asking us to live so we can be prepared. Okay, so the darkness will not overtake us. There is darkness, but we are safe because we're in the light. The world won't know about Jesus' return. And Paul is warning the church so that we don't act as if nothing's happening. But see, oftentimes the church has focused so much on the when that they've forgotten about the who. The point is, it is about him. It is about knowing him. It is about being with him. It is not about what date he's coming And the thing is, is yes, we can watch the times and the seasons and the prophecies fulfilled, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we are busier doing that and not doing what he's asked us to do, then we are missing the point because we're making it more about a time and date and about ourselves than it is about him. And our goal is to know him so well and for him to know us so well that we don't miss him and he doesn't miss us. Okay, so it's about him. Today matters. We have to live like it. Live like we're about to meet him. It's our day, the church's day is now. We don't have to wait for some documented revival. It's now. You carry the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in you, and you are a walking revival. And when we choose choices that reflect him, there is something that's being preached from our life that is louder than even words. And that is something that when we do speak gives credibility to our words because we are busy doing what he's asked us to do because we're ready. You know, it says to don't go to sleep. That means don't let the devil come in and deceive you. Don't let the devil creep in with division, with deception with offense, with your emotions and your feelings and how you feel in the moment, whether you feel like getting up to ch- go to church or whether you, whether you feel like staying in bed, whether you feel like getting up and turning on the live stream or whether you feel like watching a movie or Netflix instead. whether You, you see what I'm saying? There's so many small decisions that we make that the enemy can creep in and deceive us because he's trying to take advantage of that sleepiness And he wants us to be drunk on everything but him. But the Holy Spirit is that fulfillment that can give us a mind that can make choices that are uninhibited. But yet when we decide to surrender to the scrolling of social media, and we surrender to trying to control our lives in our own power so that nothing else interrupts our life, or when we're trying to seek a person to fulfill us or when we're trying to seek a substance to cope with those are all things that the world uses to get peace we know they need it they we know that that's their option but for the church to seek those things and to fall asleep is dangerous we want to be awake we want to see that that decision could cause us to be unaware of his coming. So we have to remain spiritually vigilant and morally diligent. We have to stay awake for his return because it's about more than just us. It's not just about us making it to heaven, y'all. He has given us insurance. But he's given us insurance that we are going to be eternally with him. He's our robe of righteousness. Okay? But that's why... We have to stay ready for more than just us. That's why you have to invite somebody to the friends and family cookout Saturday. That's why you have to serve one and attend one. That's why we're having five services Sunday for Easter. Because believe it or not, Easter is actually not about getting together with your family and having a ham. Easter is the day we celebrate Jesus' return. And so, yes, I'm all for you spending time with your family, making memories, making it special. That's important, and that's a part of you being a light. But if we negate and forget all the people that don't know that he is the resurrected Savior and the peace that will sustain them, then we've missed the point. We are asleep. We have to make sure that we are awake and we realize not only is the second coming a good day for us, and I'm ready and I'm waiting, but I'm also seeing that every day I have an opportunity to reach someone because life is more than an Easter egg hunt. There is a message that will be preached on Sunday that could change someone's life. And you have the opportunity to stay ready, to stay awake, and invite someone that God puts inside of your path because you get to be a part of someone else's life change that now can go spend eternity with Jesus with us. Right. So 1 Thessalonians five twelve through 15 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So the third truth that we have to remember to be prepared is to be in unity. I want to catch, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, I want him to catch me being in unity. I want him to catch me forgiving the people that have hurt me. I want him to catch me with no resentment, no bitterness, no martyrdom syndrome, no victim. I want to be free because he's coming back for a church that is unified and that has a heart that wants to know him more than anything else. Okay, so as the church, we have to minimize differences, we have to maximize love, we have to stay in honor. For each of us, for all of us, for everyone. Because unity is not uniformity. We have to have a church that is able to come into relationship with each other and also have conflict. Because strife is not the goal. Strife is not from the Lord. Strife is from the enemy. But did you know that God will use conflict to help bring you into unity? Because you are able to, in conflict, get on the same page... And so, yes, in conflict, you may end the conflict still having two different opinions. But guess what? You're able to go together in respect and honor and go forward, accomplishing the fact that we are being prepared for the day that he returns. And we are in partnership, wanting others to come into the kingdom while we are preparing. So this conflict we had, we came on the same page. We saw each other's differences and the different perspectives we had. And we were able to leave that still in unity, respecting each other Going forward with the mission that Jesus has given us in the meantime while we wait for him. So the house is a place where honor is given and received. Because we believe that that is the model God set up. God is the one who places authority in places. Believe it or not, we, you voted for the mayor. But God was orchestrating the mayor to be the mayor. He orchestrates people in authority. Now, we have a place to to play. We have a part to play. Thankfully, in our country, we have a say. But the thing is, is when we look at authority, we can't look at it as accidental. We can't even look at it as just Devastating. We have to know that whoever is in authority, God is able to use and God is able to produce his plan regardless if the church is able to stay in unity. And so we are able to submit to authority. Why? Because ultimately we are submitted to the Lord. Okay, so Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be in joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So basically this is saying leadership is in your life for a reason. Don't hinder yourself and go rogue. Don't shoot yourself in the foot and discredit leadership that loves you. And you say, well, how do I know who to have confidence in? How do I have confidence in leadership? And I'm going to teach you a little bit about what questions we can ask ourselves. So we can be confident in our leaders when we can answer these three questions. Are we called to the place? Did God orchestrate our steps to that place? Do we believe that this is the place God has called us to? So if that's the case, it doesn't mean that we all heard an audible voice move to Rogers, go to the house, okay? It just means that I believe I was led here supernaturally by divine orchestration, and I came here and prayed and believed this is where I'm supposed to be and I'm called. Okay, so the next thing is, is there fruit? It doesn't mean that I like everybody that's around me or that I think they're all making the decisions that I think that they should make. It means that is there fruit of life change and the Holy Spirit working in their life? Do I see fruit? Now, is there some bad fruit and good fruit? Absolutely, because people have personal choices and personal decisions that they are able to make. But is there life change continuing to happen and the Holy Spirit is welcomed to be a teacher in people's lives? We see that in where we are. The next thing is, is do you see character? And obviously, we want to give grace to leadership just like we would to the person next to us. We give grace. Why? Because everyone has to have an opportunity to learn, grow, fail, and go on a journey to be who God's called them to be, even leaders. And so when we see character in a leader, that means they ask me to do something that they personally are striving to model. They're asking me to do something, not something that they're unwilling to do, but something that they have already been implementing into their life. That doesn't mean that they are perfect or they've arrived. It means that they have a heart, and they have made choices and made steps towards becoming all God's called them to be and to be above reproach. Because when we become a leader, there is a great responsibility on us. That's why one of the reasons why the house is called to develop leaders, because we believe the more responsibility you carry, the stronger you become. Because the more responsibility I carry, the more things I have to change in my life. Because I can't ask someone to do something that I'm not willing to do. And so we are growing as we make steps into our calling and into what God has for us each and every one of us can grow in that area but here at the house I believe that those are the three questions we can ask ourselves if you are wondering how do I have confidence in my leaders and feel like I'm making a good decision so the church body can't thrive under the mindset of what have you done for me lately We have to watch over a long period of time. And one of the things that I love about the house, and I will just attest to you because I am on staff and I know the people on staff, every single one of our staff members have made a great sacrifice to follow the calling of God on their life and be be on our staff. Okay, so bottom line is, is they have left a life that they could accrue riches in the world. To choose to be on staff at our church to do what they believe God's called them to do to help as many people as possible accept the father find the father accept forgiveness find freedom and get fueled with their purpose okay so we have a staff that is willing to sacrifice because why they love God and love others that is how you measure love it's out of sacrifice sacrifice is measured in love and so yes we have people on this team that are both leaders on staff and volunteer. Why do we honor the person in the nursery right now taking care of our child? Because there was a sacrifice made to do that on our behalf because that sacrifice measured a measure of love that okay why do I honor Sam for coming early practicing knowing the words of the song praying ahead of time so that we would all be ready and prepared to enter into the worship the throne room of God in worship to feel the tangible presence of God why do I honor her and thank her because I see the sacrifice she's not doing it to make a name for herself she's doing it because she loves the people in the seats Even if the people in the seats never know the sacrifice she made. And that's the one thing about when we honor leadership and have confidence in them. There is a level of us understanding that there was a sacrifice made that we will never see. And we will never know. There was a battle fought that we didn't even know about. There was a hard heart became soft that we never heard about. There was a working out their salvation daily. Why? Because they love the people we get to minister to. And so those are some of the things that will help us stay in honor when we don't just walk by the person opening the door, but we say thank you. We don't just walk by the kid's worker. I don't have a kid in there. I don't care. Thank them for pouring their life into our kids. Thank them for preparing ahead of time and taking the position of leadership. Because guess what? When they decided to lead a game in kids' church, now they have an accountability in heaven for that child's soul. There is a huge measure of accountability and responsibility that people take on when they begin to take steps to lead and to grow. And that's why we give a lot of mercy and we give a lot of grace because we all want a lot of mercy and we all want a lot of grace. Okay, so this portion of the scripture ends up with admonish the unruly. This just means we confront undiscipline. And so that's one of the things that I feel like you're going to find here when you come to a Sunday morning. When you go to a life group, you're going to feel a little bit of admonishing. You're going to feel confronted with the truth. But guess what? You're also going to feel encouraging the faint-hearted. You've had a bad week. You're going to get encouragement here. And if you need encouragement, I want to encourage you to go to the next steps room and get prayer. Yeah, come on. Don't leave today having a terrible day, having a terrible week, and you just need someone to pray. We believe in the power of prayer, and everybody in that Next Steps room is able to pray for you. Don't leave not telling someone you need prayer. We're not embarrassed by that. We help the weak. We don't just confront your weakness or confront the undisciplined. We help the weak. I don't just look at you bleeding and judge you and tell you what you need to fix. I help you. I'm here to help. We are here to help. Everyone in the seats that have committed to the house, we are now taking the responsibility on to admonish, to encourage, and to help, and to be patient. Let's not easily get frustrated by the person next to us that should be doing this, this, or that. (laughs) Because we can all fall into that. That's why Paul's saying be patient. You're going to get impatient because you're going to be waiting for Jesus to come and there's going to be a lot of people who get on your nerves. And there's going to be a lot of people make choices that you don't agree with. And that's why he says, hey guys, be patient. Okay, don't retaliate when mistreated by someone in the family. Give them grace. And believe me, that is the, one of the hardest things for us to do as humans because all we can see is this earth. All we can see is this person misunderstood me, betrayed me, abandoned me, took advantage of me, and nobody's paying for it. But Jesus paid for our debt, and we're not having to pay him back. And so that doesn't take away the hurt. And that doesn't take away the pain, but it does give me perspective to know that I am releasing what someone owes me. I'm releasing it because Jesus released what I owe him. And that is why I'm doing it because I know that there will be a judgment day. There will be vindication. But the thing is, is I have learned that since I don't want to get what I deserve, I'm actually having to pray for my enemies that they don't get what they deserve because I want them to experience the mercy of God. And that is hard to say when something wrong has happened to you. And I don't think anybody in this room can say that nothing has wronged you. Someone has rejected you. Someone has betrayed you. Someone has not met up to your expectations. Someone has physically harmed you, emotionally harmed you, but yet we have the grace. Y'all listen, he gives us grace to forgive us, to save us, to wash our sins away, but he also gives us empowering grace to forgive others because there is a judgment day and God is just. First Thessalonians 5:16 through 28 says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything hold fast what is good abstain from every form of evil now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely everybody say completely And may your whole spirit and soul and the body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, this is a cultural thing, so please. (laughs) This is something that we're going to warmly welcome each other. But we are not partaking in any kissing here. (laughs) Okay, so greet. Uh, okay, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter re- read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, so when you read first Thessalonians 5, if you want to always be ready for your day, pretty much 1 Thessalonians 5 will give you everything you need to be successful as a Christian. If you want to read it every day, challenge yourself, apply it to your life, you're going to win. Okay, so this is what I see Paul as a parent like dropping off his kids at a friend's house. And then giving him the list of things he's already taught them. Do this, do this, do this. Okay, so this is what I do. I'm like, you're blessed to be a blessing. Do not ask for anything that's not offered to you. Do not ask to spend the night. Don't put your elbows on the table. Don't chew with your mouth mouth open. Uh, Please, you know, you have this long list of everything you've taught them. And you're reminding them before you drop them off because you're just, oh, please, God, please. (laughs) Do what I've trained you to do. Now my new thing is, (laughs) My new thing with my kids is I'll be like, don't act like you, act like an adult. (laughs) Like when you go into this store, I'm giving you this money, I want you to go get you a treat. When you go into that store, do not act like you. (laughs) Okay, act like an adult. I want you to act like you were raised. Okay, so here's the deal. That's what Paul's doing. Paul's basically not able to be there at that moment. He sent a letter and said, here's all the things I've taught you. I need you to do this. I need you to apply this. And it is a lot, y'all. Giving thanks in everything, the good and the bad, that's hard. And that's why when I hear someone come or say, oh, well, that church isn't preaching deep enough, I'm like, well, The thing is, is the fact that if we forget the basics, like giving thanks and everything, you are going to be a miss. If you don't remember to give thanks and everything, you're probably not busy enough. That's why you're wanting something different. We can be very busy doing the basic things. Now, I'm not opposed to deep teaching. I'm not opposed to the deep things of the Holy Spirit. I'm for those things. But I'm for those things in context if we're focused and we are making sure that the basics are taken care of. And that's the fourth truth is that the basics of faith keep us on target. Those are the things that we have to remember. Keep the basics of faith. Believers talk to the Lord. It says rejoice in the Lord always. That means we are thanking him all day long. We are rejoicing in our life. We're not scrolling on social media getting discontent without stopping filling ourselves with the word and saying I rejoice in you even though my life doesn't look like so and so's life. I am rejoicing in what God has given me and provided for me and who he is. We are motivated by heaven by eternity. And that's why we can rejoice. That's why we can do that. We pray without ceasing because God wants to hear us. God wants a relationship with us. He's coming back for us because he knows us and he loves us. And he wants us to spend our time praying and in relationship with him in communication. And yes, we grow in learning communication. My kids from a very young age, and that's one of the first things that you do in the womb, it's like a how many weeks 18 weeks I think you can start hearing maybe earlier Courtney do you know okay so Courtney is a, <laughs> a nurse so that's why I asked her um, but here's the deal we have the ability to hear with our ears listen with our ears and we have the ability to talk with our mouths as children but we have to learn how to communicate and we learn how to communicate for the rest of our lives with him and with others And so I'm growing in my relationship with God and in communication with him. And I'm doing that by setting time aside in the word in prayer in time with him. And I'm also doing that as I don't break relationship throughout my day. My whole day is supposed to be honoring him. Okay, so believers allow the spirit to minister to them. The spirit is a teacher, is a comforter. He is the helper in all things. He is the revealer of all truth. He is the reminder of the word. And so here the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, it says, don't quench it. So here is a fire that is a good fire that keeps us awake, that doesn't allow us to slumber. And yet we often turn off the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because he uses not only the still small voice in our life, but he also uses other people. And we are great at discrediting people. We are great at saying, you don't really, what you just said didn't really matter or mean anything because you're not this, this, or that. But the Holy Spirit can use anybody and everything. And then he also continues saying, test everything. He's not saying receive everything blindly. He's saying know your word. Know who you are in Christ. Know what the word says. Test every prophecy. Test what is spoken. And take it to me. Take it to authority. And confirm it with his word so that you can thrive and so that you can grow. And so we have believers pursue righteousness. Believers pursue righteousness. It says that he will sanctify us, spirit, soul, and body. And so that sanctification process is something we do in partnership with God. He has put a robe of righteousness on us, and we are sanctified in the moment that we surrender our lives to Jesus. But then every single day we have an opportunity to take up our cross and follow him. And there is a sanctification process that we are daily choosing him over the world. We are daily choosing him over our flesh. And we are walking with him, abstaining from evil, accepting his grace, believing he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Right now you may be looking at all this that we've talked about in First Thessalonians and think, wow, that's a lot. I don't know if I can do all that. Guess what? Paul knew that this was a lot. And that's why he said, God will sanctify you and complete you. And he is faithful to do it. His Holy Spirit is there to help you. His, the Word of God is there to teach you. Don't get discouraged. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I went over uh, point three. Did I go over it? Okay, good. Okay, so uh, I'm trying to remember. But, um, but basically, my hope is, is that we would stay awake that we would not allow the enemy that is shooting darts at us at all times to our heart and our mind. He's shooting those darts at our heart and our mind because he wants us to fall asleep. He wants us to get wounded and just go get a Band-Aid from the world. And he doesn't want us to seek healing and hope and fulfillment through Christ. He doesn't want us to look to Jesus as our ultimate Savior. He's like, you looked at him for salvation in that day, you committed to him, and now I don't want you to look for salvation in eternity with his second coming. And that's why he said, put the breastplate of faith and love on. Protect your heart. Put it there. Where do we get faith and love? From the word From the Lord. Did you know that Father God, our Father has perfect love? You know his love has no fear. He's not afraid of you. He loved you and gave his life for you knowing that you would make choices that were disappointing. Knowing that you would have moments in your life where you rejected him. Knowing that we would have moments in our life where we wouldn't accept him. That we would substitute him with other things. He could have been so scared to give his life. He could have been so scared to love us the way he loved us. But yet, with no hesitation, knowing our weaknesses, he made a way. He came and gave his whole life. He experienced all the hurt and the pain so that we may be saved. And I think right now that's one of the things that God wants to remind us of. For those of us that may be in this room and say, you know what, I've fallen asleep, I wouldn't say that I am ready for the second coming. I think God wants to remind you how much he loves you. And that he's not holding your slumber against you. This is a word in due time to say, I love you and I want you to wake up. I love you and I want you to be prepared. I don't want that day to come and you be surprised. I want you to know that my love covers you. Will y'all stand with me today? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the contact us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.